I was hanging out the towels. We were trying to save the world. I was picking up the house. Why don't you put it down? Come over. Come over. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Femidish, where we have conversations about food through a feminist lens. We are elevating the stories of women by celebrating their unique abilities to nourish themselves and their communities. I am your host tonight, Sandy, and I'm here with my co-host, Hope. Hey, everyone. Hi, Hope. And we have our guest tonight, Olivia, who is a co-founder of the Eastern Woodlands Rematriation and a member of the Penobscot Nation. Hi, Olivia. Hello. Well, we are so glad to have you here with us tonight to talk about so many interesting topics when it comes to food and feminism. So I'd love to just get right into it. Um, tell us about the Eastern Woodlands Rematriation. Absolutely. So Eastern Woodlands Rematriation, we are a collective of Indigenous women and two-spirit folks throughout the Northeast, what's now the United States. Um, I myself, I'm Penobscot, so I'm situated here in what's now Maine, and I support um, our Indigenous food system restoration projects here. Um, one of the really core elements to the work that we that we undertake with our food systems is re being really intentional about embodying the values. Um, of our ancestors and embodying the values of rematriating. Um, and so what that, and rematriating our, our food systems and what that means for our connection to the earth, um, the food that we produce, but we also really see um, our food and medicines as, um, as a grounding point for our relationship with the earth, but also our relationship with one another. And we see it as transformational for our, social, political, and economic structures. So <laughs> we, we have a really bold um, vision of, of centering, rematriating, um, and centering the traditional roles of Indigenous women and two spirits in our food systems work. Wow. That's definitely, like you said, very ambitious, but that seems incredibly important and, and so valued. Can you explain when you say women in two spirits? Can you explain that to us? So in thinking about undertaking process of indigen indigenizing our food systems and elevating um, traditional roles of our food producers, of our healers, of um, leaders and nurturers in our communities, that means um, we also need to undertake the process of um, restoring our indigenous gender um, gender roles and um, our indigenous, you know, sexualities and um, all of the pieces of our identity um, and existence that have been impacted by colonization. So, so for Wabanaki communities and communities of the Northeast, um, gender was not um, traditionally on a binary. And so we're being really intentional and inclusive in our work about um, re-centering um, those who, in our communities that have been um, silenced and invisibilized the most um, 
And so the, it's essential that we center Two-Spirit and Indigenous queer folks in our work. Um, so we are definitely, we're women and um, Two-Spirit led. I myself am a Two-Spirit, so it's important for me to um, situate myself that way. So as we're having this conversation that you're introducing this as a space where you're um, inviting women to the space and to talk about feminism, just important for me to situate myself as um, an Indigenous, queer, two-spirit person, um, happy to share my perspectives on feminism and matriarchy. Yes, yes, definitely so interested in hearing about, you said feminism and matriarchy, and the, this was the first time I'd heard the word rematriation before. I had heard of you know matriarchy and maternal and that use of that word, but the idea of rematriation um, was a new idea and a new concept. Um, so you you talked about that for a, a moment and saying about bringing some of those ideals back into this community. Is there anything else to expand on that when you say rematriation, like re as in bringing those things back? Yeah. So so when we're thinking about rematriating, we are. We're looking to to our ancestors, our ancestors being those who are human and more than human ancestors and the, the gifts, lessons, and values that they have left for us. And how can we embody those values and traditions in our current context, right? We're, we're in a different um, place and time, but how can we continue to um, and, and to restore and to enrich and to enliven um, the traditional values and life ways, which were matriarchal for Eastern Woodlands um, tribal communities. So, so yeah, it's it's um, the the foundation of everything. Um, when Indigenous people, at least in the Northeast, are thinking about you know doing things in a traditional way, from our perspective, everything would mean restoring our matriarchal structures um for me so some of the really important pieces of what um it means to rematriate is um is thinking about power in a completely different um context in in situating ourselves in matriarchy and again this, this is a really specific like cultural um culturally, you know, specific framework that um, is for Indigenous communities. And so just sort of stating that it's not necessarily for like all communities to um, embody, which could actually be co-optation. So, but from Eastern Indigenous people, matriarchy is, it's, so we're not trying to flip patriarchy. We're not looking to shift power into different hands so that now um, power and um, domination is in the hands of grandmothers or women. Um, Really, our understanding of matriarchy is that um, it's not about anyone having power over, that matriarchy is about nurturing power from within. It's acknowledging the innate gifts and the incredible value that each of us human and again more than human um carry and um so again so from a framework of rematriating power then becomes transformative power is beautiful power is self-actualizing it's an incredible tool of healing individually and collectively 
it also spiritually grounds us to the earth, to one another as humans. Um, it's it and, and it's centering, nurturing. It's centering our kinship networks. It is um, centering balance and reciprocity. So from so from my perspective, um, matriarchy is something that predates feminism and it is from a really specific cultural context. So for me, they're separate. And this is just me speaking from Olivia's perspective. I don't identify myself as a feminism, not that I'm an antagonist against um, feminism, but where I am looking to restore my traditional cultural life ways, like I feel like I have a blueprint that brings things to balance and that is through a framework of matriarchy. Wow. I find I, that incredibly interesting um, that, you know, you're, you're saying that you have a framework of culture um, right. to kind of refer to of like what, what could be a, a better way of, of operating, of, of how your society, how your community should function. Um, and so you're able to kind of create this blueprint back to that, um, although not to minimize the effort it will take to achieve that, um, given kind of how much um, modern society has, you know, obviously taken over. But it, I'm kind of losing my thought here a little bit, but it's hard when you don't, like, as, um, you know, someone whose ancestors came over on the Mayflower, um, I don't necessarily agree with culture today, but I don't necessarily have that obvious blueprint of what else to go for, <laughs> like where, where to go back to, because it, it, this has been the culture kind of, this is the progression of the culture that I came from. And it's not necessarily um, something that speaks true to my heart. So I really like that you're able to reference a, a earlier culture and strive to get back to that. Yeah, I don't, I was just gonna say, I don't know that it's a um, earlier culture because we continue to exist, right? So we are mm -hmm. our ancestors, like our ancestors are here now, embodied through us now. Um, mm -hmm. So I just, I guess I don't see necessarily like, um, yeah, like a, that there was an end, that there has been change. Um, right. So for you, it, it didn't, you didn't lose it um so it's very much of an outsider's perspective for me to assume that something stopped and must be started over right yeah it's interesting to think too about like the the definition of even like what and th this is something that we're trying to figure out as we have this this podcast and these discussions is what is feminism what is it to us what does it mean what is it not um and how that changes person to person um mm. so not you know not a, a like of trying to equate it or anything by to what you were saying, but just thinking about for myself that, okay, you know, what, what does it mean? What is, what is, what does it mean to be a female? What is, the, what is feminism? Uh, what does it mean? And what is it not? And what, what can it do? What can those values do? And what can they not do? Um, I, I'm interested to hear about like, um, and I could, I could try to think of some, some connection myself, but I would want to hear what, like explicitly when the the value of and I'm 
also might, I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, but like what, what, what I'm trying to figure out is like, I know that I feel strongly that there is a connection between food and feminism, you know, between food and women. Um, however we want to de define those things that there's a strong and a unique connection there and trying to, so trying to figure out what it, between food and, and being a woman, you know, being a, a, a female identifying person. Um, so by, for you, Olivia, for thinking about how important to have the values that you mentioned of, you know, of va balance and nurturing and generosity and equity, those things, am I correct in saying that those things are aligned with a, you know, a matriarchy and a, a like what we would consider now a female um, sort of, uh, those are female values and tendencies and how do those connect specifically with food? I don't know that I, so yes, I would say that the, the, the values that um, I, I was sharing around um, reciprocity, balance, nurturing. Um, so I was speaking about those within the framework of matriarchy being central ways of all decision-making, right? All areas of society were centered um, around those values and decisions were made um, reflecting off from those. I don't know that I would say that those are values that um, are predominantly found in or nurtured within the within women or within feminine like the feminine um, again coming from a framework of matriarchy that was the expectation of everyone in that balanced community um, so matriarchy was the rule for all people and and it was a rule that nurtured power from within um, it wasn't a rule of power and dictation over even dictating so like for example even how we define culturally nurturing. Um, so nurturing absolutely is, is childbearing. It's also child rearing. And those that rear children, there's all different elements to what it takes to, to raise children. Um, all community members contributed to, to child rearing. All community members nurtured um, women as they were bearing children. But nurturing also um, supported regeneration. So that may be respectful, um, respectful hunting, respectful taking of life of, of our other, of, you know, our four-legged relatives. Nurturing and regeneration um, was also um, how we manage lands. So that could mean the burning of land is a part of nurturing and regeneration. So I think even how we define what it is to nurture or to support regeneration can have a cultural lens. And so from a matriarchal perspective, I don't think like those were values that were embodied by all beings and they, those beings were not divided by feminine and masculine. Okay. That's a, that's a great delineation. Thank you for that. And how do those you reading about the rematriation, the Eastern Woodlands rematriation, food is mentioned a lot and food systems and um, and things like that. And you mentioned your food system. Can you speak to the connection uh, to food? You mentioned a few about, um, you know, the taking of the taking of life for food and hunting and things like that. What what else can you speak about about the connection from the East, Eastern Woodlands rematriation and the food system? Yeah, so, so again, if we're looking at um, restoring spiritual connection to the earth, 
um, that's really grounded in um, a really important beginning place is our is our food systems, is our food systems. And when we're thinking about restoring um, the empowered roles of Indigenous women and Two-Spirit folks, um, we also had really key roles to play in our Indigenous food systems. So yeah, the work that, that we do is centered around um, truly achieving food sovereignty for our tribal communities. And um, and also really broadening how we think about how, I guess, how others, <laughs> how the food sovereignty movement um, thinks about thinks about food sovereignty and what it means to um, produce food. And so when we're thinking about restoring indigenous food systems, at least in the Northeast, like, yes, agriculture was a piece of our traditional food system, but it was not the, the center of, of how we um, related to the earth and our food systems and how we cultivated. Um, so like with a part of Eastern Woodlands Rematriation, we're absolutely supportive of indigenous folks who want to become farmers, but it's also important to remember or to understand that farming and the imposition of farming um, was a colonial tool of genocide that was was forced on many indigenous um, people and communities that um, the U.S. federal government made really intentional efforts to, um, well, they did, you know, <laughs> to, um, diminish our land base because how directly that's connected to our well-being and our existence um, and what that means for our food systems and to have us um, have an incredibly small land base and to become farmers so that we could then become productive in um, the sense of capitalism. So, you know, there are programs to go into reservation communities. So with this small piece of land that they allowed us to continue to exist on and to try to make us to become farmers and these individual um, cultivating food in an individual way. Whereas traditionally, yes, there was some agriculture in the Northeast, but again, that was collective cultivation. Um, it was a it was not a family farmer model that sort of idealized um, in our food system and not to say that it doesn't have value but um, there's I have a I have as an indigenous food producer I have a critique of it um, so other ways that we we nurtured our our communities were through um, were through deeper relationships with our foods and nurturing and cultivating wild foods that existed in place. We had really deep relationships. We absolutely shaped the landscape and shaped food systems and were intentional about selecting and cultivating for food. So it wasn't like we were passively engaged with the production of, of food. Um, that's also um, a myth that is often propagated that Indigenous people really didn't like shape the land, that we just didn't touch it. And... Um, so yeah, so our food systems were our fisheries. It was wild rice. It was you know what now might be called agroforestry. Um, our traditional medicine plants existed all around us, and we cultivated um, we cultivated you know larger um, swaths of them. So, and hunting obviously, and and trapping, and um, 
so our food systems were much they they were intent they were think of how diverse that is right think of how stable (laughs) um, a food system is that has so many um, elements to um, to how communities feed themselves so that's again some of like the overarching framework so I I actually wanted to clarify something because I I was realizing I I don't want to speak for you Sandy but I feel like um, Sandy and I were both um, struggling with the 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 word matri or, or rematriation or matriarchal, um, and I'm going to say it's just because we were looking at it from a very Western lens of what we thought the definition of a, a matriarch is, um, which would be the way we were thinking about it is a mirror image of a patriarchal system. And so I quickly like looked looked it up because I felt like I was really missing something. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're talking about rematriation, you're talking about a, like a um, an economically balanced system that's like all of the politics are based on consensus, and it's based off maternal values, not necessarily like women are queen. Right. And so maybe another way of saying maternal values is like the nur- is to nurture. And so all decisions being based around nurturing and nurturing is children, but nurturing is our environment. Nurturing is our relationships. So but those were values that that um, were centered in all decision making. Yeah, that's that's that makes everything that you're saying makes so much more sense because it's just traditionally, I guess it's, it's similar with the how the Western idea of having a binary um, gender definition is we have a binary power definition. It's either men or women in charge. <laughs> um, and so I was just feeling like I wasn't quite grasping it, but right. that and kind of clarified it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so, and maybe it would be helpful. I'll, I'll repeat and I'll say a little bit. So when I first started sharing and, and thinking about um, matriarchy, I, again, we're not looking at, flipping the power just into the hands so that power then comes into the hands of women or grandmothers now, right? Because people often think of matriarchy as um, grandmothers, as um, the decision makers. And yes, absolutely, that is accurate. Um, But it doesn't mean that, um, and you can edit this out if you want, but instead (laughs) of white old men making all the damn decisions, it becoming um, brown old ladies making all the decisions, (laughs) embodying those same values of power over. So that's where in the framework of matriarchy, matriarchs, though the decision makers, they were making decisions in ways that nurtured and respected the innate gifts that everyone carried. So we have these really strong traditional beliefs that um, everyone everyone has a special gift, um, a gift that um, th- that is also a responsibility, a responsibility to fully embody that um, and to contribute that to your community. But it is an individual's through connection to creation. It's their journey. It's their gift. It's their identity. It's not for anyone else to dictate to others like what their what their their gifts are to share. And and so in a matriarchy, um, even those 
you know, who are kind of seated um, at the head, it, it is still a decentralized um, power structure. It's again, it's nurturing the power within rather than power over, which is what we experience in patriarchy. Um, and so that to me is a really important distinction that I don't necessarily, what I tend, and I'm not a scholar of feminism, but what I tend to experience of at least how lay feminists refer to feminism is about seizing, just wanting to position themselves within the same framework of patriarchy, but, but being able to be situated in those same positions of power and honestly exploitation that's the system we're in um but but for them to have the opportunity to be in that seat um and so matriarchy for me is like a completely different worldview it's like it's 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 not even it's something for me very distinct from feminism yeah there's a great there's there's a bunch of great quotes about with feminism and when it comes to like power and what it means and the one of my the a favorite of mine that is very simple and it was um the the mother of the woman that wrote Frankenstein so Mary Shelley wrote the book Frankenstein her mother is Mary and I can't pronounce her last name like Wallenstecraft Wallenstecroft so a longer last name but she said um and she wrote a great this was you know a long time ago she wrote um uh some great writings on like of the power of women when um that was not something that people wanted to hear and she said um, her goal for women was, I do not wish them to have power over men, but over themselves. Mm-hmm. And, I, right. and I really liked that is a, a way that I view it as well, that it's not a say, okay, well, you guys are in charge and we don't want you to be in charge. We want to be in charge. It's really just about having the, about having autonomy in a way that a patriarchy doesn't allow you to have autonomy. Um. So yeah, so thinking, so for me, matriarchy absolutely is about respecting the innate gifts and path that each person carries, but that that is not, but that those gifts are a responsibility to others, that it brings us deeply into relationship and into interdependence with one another. So it's not about achieving, um, from my viewpoint of matriarchy, not about achieving full autonomy, that is actually I feel like a big part of the problem of how we've um how if we haven't arrived it's been very intentional but how we are situated in a a patriarchal society um is that individualism and so it's actually an identity where in matriarchy it's an identity that is deeply embedded in relationship responsibility to others um so in matriarchy the goal is never um full autonomy it's, it's, you know, full completion, right? And full like existence. And um, it's a beautiful freedom that also um, embeds us in relationship and in survival with one another. That's really lovely. So switching gears a little bit, um, I would love you, I'm looking through this document that kind of um, talks about so many different projects. Um, the, um, that you're undertaking to kind of achieve your goals. And one of them is the Ascami Homestead. Did I pronounce that correctly? Uh, Ascami, Uh Ascami Homestead. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that, that project? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a central piece. It's like one example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Askami Homestead is, is where I live with my three-year-old daughter um, in what's now Newport. And um, so we're nurturing and being held by um, this beautiful piece of land here and um, establishing and, you know, so been spending a lot of time learning the medicines that already exist here and learning the incredible food sources that already exist here, nurturing those and also cultivating other food sources for um, for um, community for community um, use and for feeding the community. So um, one of our primary projects in Maine that's really important um, is the development of a Wabanaki community herbal apothecary. And so my my homestead, Askami, is, um, is one of the sites of, of establishing um, important traditional um, medicines here for, again, for community cultivation and for use in um, medicine making for the community apothecary. Um, as part, so as part of developing the community apothecary, we've been undertaking um, a Wabanaki um, herbalism apprenticeship. So a cohort of 12 committed um, Wabanaki medicine keepers who have been undertaking this um, herbalism apprenticeship with um, naturopathic doctor, um, but also medicine person. And um, she's Penobscot. Dr. Jess Cree Giamarino has been um, leading us in the apprenticeship. So we have, so we're working to be really intentional about when we think about a community apothecary for indigenous people, um, we see it again as very decentralized or not necessarily at this point though there's conversations about what it could look like it's not necessarily building an apothecary is not a building (laughs) an apothecary Mm -hmm. is not a a, you know um a lock cabinet (laughs) filled with uh, medicines an apothecary from a if for using that english word for an, an indigenous concept it's restoring um our indigenous medicine keepers. So we're being really intentional about the transmission of traditional um, medicine knowledge and medicine teachings and apprentices then, um, so we make medicines and we distribute them throughout our community. We share them throughout the network of Eastern Woodlands Rematriation. So with tribal communities across the Northeast, we do a lot of medicine teachings. We've had to shift um, how those look um, because of COVID-19 and have taken to doing um, webinars, which have been really incredible and been able to kind of focus them on some of the respiratory and heart health and immunity boosting things that are related to and and um, stress and anxiety reduction and just kind of the, the current context that we're in. So the development of Wabanaki Community Apothecary is a really important project. Um, Askami Homestead is also an example of one of the um, cultivation, the collective cultivation sites that um, we are nurturing. We also have a project in Starks, Maine, um, with an incredible farmer there who has um, allowed us for several years um, to to cultivate 
um, some land on his his farm has just been incredibly generous and supportive of us restoring connection to into Stark's Maine. Um, we have a new project that is um, beginning in Mount Vernon. Um, we are supporting projects around Penobscot Nation and tribal um, communities, Indian Township Food Pantry. We're hoping to develop relationships with private um, landowner, coastal landowners so that we can do more with fisheries, um, wild rice restoration projects. Um, just yesterday, I went out to private landowners, and um, she lives on land that was traditionally Abenaki, the Abenaki, and so um, she's in Madison. Um, and so, you know, the incredibly well-documented horrific uh, massacres um, that that occurred there of the Abenaki people. And so many of them both went north to Mi'kmaq communities, but also into Penobscot communities. So this landowner allowed us to come and to reclaim some of the sunchokes and um, groundnuts that have been cultivated by our ancestors over thousands of years um, on her property and to be able wow. to bring them and replant them um, in on land that tribal people do still have access to. So then today I went with my daughter and my niece and um, we were planting um, at um, Penobscot Nation by our community garden so that we can restore relationship and connection to those plants again um and that is the and that's the quick version of what we have going on and so again we're really supportive of um restoring processes of collective cultivation and supporting um being supportive of cooperatives of indigenous food producers and so we're really hopeful that there's going to be the development of um, a network a cooperative um, of indigenous butchers here in the state of Maine, for example. And there's just um, a host of um, pieces that we're working on and embedded in all of this is political education. Political education, do you mean education um, for others about this, the, the work that you're doing and the values and the collective nature of the work or political education for uh, members of your community to be more politically active. Yeah, so yes, the emphasis of our political education is to is to build power within our indigenous communities and to also okay. build solidarity with other um, indigenous communities of of color throughout the Northeast. So we also align um, really closely with um, important global movements to achieve um, food sovereignty. And so again, like we, so when we started this conversation, really talking about a bold vision of, you know, seeing our relationship to the earth and our food system as an entry point for transforming our political, economic, and social structures. And so while we're doing incredibly localized work and work that is guided by, led by, like, like it, you know, we're not an organization. We see ourselves as a movement. Um, so we're doing incredibly localized um, work, work that is grounded in um, the communities that, that we're working within, but we're also incredibly intentional about um, uniting across marginalized communities and 
in global spheres um, to to achieve food sovereignty. Um, and yeah, we're we're a pretty explicitly anti-capitalist organization. Um, yeah, and so in order to um, end capitalism and build our beautiful way out requires, in, in this globalized context, requires relationships that um, reach within a global context. So we're doing education of connecting these dots for for community members and helping them to see like the importance of yes like these values and how to embody matriarchy in our current context and in our relationship with our food systems but um also how we need to also act in solidarity across our tribal communities because that's another beautiful gift of eastern woodlands rematriation is that we're really intentional about being a network um, and a collective across the Northeast where we are building up the heavy lifters in each of our tribal communities, exchanging our very limited um, resources, um, exchanging knowledge, um, sharing medicines, restoring traditional trade routes, traditional um, political relationships across our tribal nations. Political education is really um, central to restoring um, matriarchy and it's also really important to name this I feel like for me it's going unsaid but others I think it's important to actually articulate it we're, we're talking about restoring matriarchy in a context of set, of settler colonialism we continue to be occupied so what does it look like to work to restore matriarchy with these values that have been passed down from a historical vantage point that they were able to exist when we weren't colonized. How do we embody matriarchy when we continue to be colonized? So there's a lot of political education that's required so that we can analyze the context and and really build meaningful power so that we can create that transformation. So it's a pretty complex like You're... framework that we bring to our work. It has like multiple right. levels that we're really intentional about engaging. And understanding the, like we were saying, the framework that you're working in right now of settler colonialism, but there's just a lot of, of looking at the, uh, looking at the issues from so many different angles and how do you hold all of those different angles in, um, in, a, in one movement. So it's, you know, it's, it's incredible to hear you explain it and to talk about it and to be so articulate about it because, you know, definitely for someone where a lot of this is new information, um, uh, you know, it's still, it's it for the entire movement to have all those different pieces be working together at the same time. And, um, is just, is really wonderful and it's really impressive. And, um, and so it's so impactful, so powerful. Does anything like this collective, do you think, exist in other parts of what is now the United States or up into what is now Canada? Um, do you, what, how does this movement relate to other movements that maybe some other Indigenous tribes are doing? Um, in terms of our specific, so absolutely. So it's, it's really important um, for us to acknowledge and credit um so many of so the work that we are doing now in the formation of eastern woodlands rematriation is is nothing new 
like the the co-founders like we we are continuing the work of our ancestors um we are continuing the work of so many indigenous people who have been fighting for our continued existence um within our lifetimes those 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 indigenous relatives but the ones um from generations before so while I can't think of a formation that is similar to ours, like across a region that's really looking to empower our tribal nations across, across, across and within our communities in, in the same way around food systems work. Um, it is ab it is not a credit to us. It is a, a credit of like continuing the work and um, the incredible like gifts and strength that our ancestors have given us a responsibility. <laughs> um, it's mm-hmm. a responsibility to undertake this this work for our communities and to continue to put absolutely everything we have into it, even though <laughs> like there we still have to continue to find ways to like support our families and lives outside of this work. This isn't like none of us are paid um, even near full time to do this. Right. But it is, it is the necessary like life giving work um, that is a responsibility of us to undertake. So the short answer is no, I can't think of a similar formation. That does not mean it doesn't exist. Um, But others are doing incredible work. Um, and advocacy and um, you know environmental justice work that um, we continue to, to learn and grow from. But um, yeah, it's our ancestors that are um, requiring us to do this now. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, it's the way that it seems like you've been describing it is that it's less of a you know, organization, but more of a, just a way of being and how to um, build a life around with, with these principles and keep embodying them and promote them and um, in a way that makes sense right now. So less of a, of a job by any means, you know, and just a, a way of being. Yeah. Yeah. And again, so we very much see our food systems as um, foundational to um, to our economic structures. Like, uh, indigenous food systems were foundation of our economic systems. So we absolutely see our food systems as a way of building an economic structure um, to to support to support us. So that as we are working on um, moving our building ourselves out of capitalism what what lies on the other side of that and that's where like our values of um of balance and balanced relationship with the earth and balanced relationship deep relationship with one another is what's on the other side of that like that's that's what we have for all people (laughs) though the strategies and the way that's embodied you know varies across cultural contexts but um so no it's not a job but it is absolutely something we want to be able to um sustain ourselves in but it's not by you know becoming a nonprofit and becoming successful in the non nonprofit industrial complex because then we've just been successful within capitalism while espousing these values so we're really intentional about and this is the way i frame this 
um, that I feel like we will need to struggle. Like we will always struggle in this work because we are situated in capitalism and um, settler colonialism. And um, that if we're struggling, <laughs> that is that then that's one sign that is not a sign, but it is one sign, you know, that we are perhaps um, undertaking the difficult work that needs to be done right now. Yes, like the, the nonprofit industrial complex, for sure. And to be successful under that regime does not mean success really for um, something that uh, unless you are intentionally wanting to be something that is a, a good a good capitalist organization so that um, uh, the like what success means and to, to, you know, over Western idea of success versus the ideas that you're talking about um, would be very different. So the outcomes would look very different, too. Um, I actually was going to hijack the conversation a little bit because in um, the Eastern Woodlands um, rematriation um, mission, it talks about reclaiming um, or restoring your birth and death practices. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to take a minute, if you don't mind, to discuss that because my personal um, kind of career cycles between traditional midwifery and food systems <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so it, it's very much, I've been focusing on food for the last couple of years, but it's very much in the back of my head that, um, the way we give birth, at least in America with the Westernized medical system is wrong. And, um, it is, uh, there's much better ways. And, um, now I was a midwife assistant for a little while and I've, um, been fortunate enough or fortunate enough, I guess, um, to witness birth several times. And I have two children of my own and my children, um, were my first, my eldest was saved by a midwife, but delivered in the most medical possible scenario hmm. um, because of, because of the midwife, she caught something else that my obstetrician had no idea was happening. Um, so it's just, this is just, it, it's an important subject for me that, um, it's so central to, uh, kind of being a female, um, and that you guys are trying to restore it or reclaim it. And I just, I didn't know if you had a minute to kind of speak on what that looks like for your community. Yeah. And so, so, so in taking this work and looking at, you know, working towards, fully embodying um, balanced, reciprocal relationships with the earth and with one another. And as we're doing that through our, our food and our, our medicine systems, like our, our healers were also our, you know, the ones that brought our babies into the world and that also, um, you know, cared for our relatives as, as they passed. So, um, it feels like a very, so as, so as we're preparing, um, this, you know, this, this cohort, this group of, um, Wabanaki medicine keepers, our conversations and our hope and it's not an explicit, I want to be clear, it's like we're, we're not training, um, you know, what might be called doulas and midwives now. We're, we're not doing that. But 
we certainly are um, getting teachings that are connected um, to, you know, to processes of, um, of, of pregnancy, of preparing for pregnancy, of talking about ceremonies connected to, to that. So it's, it's, so for us, our medicines are intertwined with ceremony and processes of um, birth and, and of death are, are ceremonies. They're, they're both ceremonies. So when we're training medicine people, our medicine is our tradition, like, um, and is ceremony and, um, all in so much of our life really was ceremony, but including birth and death. Um, and so we're, we are preparing, we're getting the foundations to be able to advance in our work and to be able to hold more ceremonies for our communities. But it's an, it's just like an absolute crucial. And for me, again, it goes without um, saying that it's connected to um, spiritual relationship with our foods and plants are also how we heal or in ceremony and we give ceremony and we pass um, excuse me, birth and death um, in ceremony. That's wonderful. I um, I appreciate you touching on that since it was, you know, maybe not expected question given yeah. the topic of the podcast. But yeah. I um, I find that often um, much of the kind of food movements and some of the natural birth movements have kind of they share a similarity in, in, in their structure or in what they're really calling for. And that really just seems to like more of a connection, um, to our, our roots as just human beings, yeah. <laughs> you know, not being so disconnected from producing food and cooking food and eating food and not being so disconnected from, um, you know, like you said, the, the, the processes that are natural to life and that could include menstruation or birth or death. Um, yep. So I, I just, I find a lot of parallels between the two um, subjects having Absolutely. studied. Absolutely. And so when you, you know, think about again, yeah. So thinking about like these values around our food system, again, we think of it very much as an entry point, an entry point for, um, practicing collectively these values and um, and and then thinking about how they can um, and so then if we also have strong food systems then that allows us the freedom um, to be able to build the the political structures that could all actually serve our communities right um, mm-hmm. and to engage in all of our relationships and understandings of the world and have have medical systems that really are serving um the well-being of um all of our planet not just not just humans um but um a medical system that is about healing (laughs) um that could become possible again if if we can have the freedom enough that um feeding ourselves in a way that is balanced and just and deeply reciprocal um, could allow, allow for. Um, you were, you mentioned just now thinking about medical and medicine, and I, I can't help, but just think about what we're experiencing now. Um, and this, you know, our, our global health crisis, 
Um, and you talked earlier, uh, just like a, a small way about how our the COVID-19 situation was affecting the way that you might, you know, administer some of those medicines and things like that. Has there been any other shifts that have happened, significant shifts because of the global health crisis and um, maybe not just specifically to, you know, making sure we're all standing six feet apart, but, um, you know, any or any different ways which maybe um, you view the global health crisis versus what is being talked about so mainstream? Um, any other just, you know, thinking about medicine and what we're going through now in our global health crisis? Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, in... In a way, um, with Eastern Woodlands Rematriation, we feel like our work has been preparing us for this moment. And that is not to understate the <laughs> tremendous um, harm, stress, confusion that we are also experiencing in this time, right? Um, so it is not to say that like, we're good and like, this isn't horrible and this hasn't rocked our world. Absolutely. But um, like this is, you know, this is the work that we've been undertaking um, to sort of build resilience. So we feel like we um, have some some strategies in place that um, can be really important sources of resilience right now. And this oper- this this um, pandemic has created an opportunity where more people have been forced to in the really horrible painful ways but forced to acknowledge see feel um the vulnerability and the instability of um of the systems that we've created the exploitive systems that they are not taking care of us and how fragile they are and how fragile our existence in isolation and in capitalism um really has been so more people are really recognizing how they need to um you know connect with the land come deeper into community and um mutual aid deep um, relationships solidarity with one another so that we can respond a lot of people indigenous people in our communities are like they know that our ancestors like had this you know knowledge not necessarily COVID-19 knowledge but um a lot of the things that would build our resilience in this time um and so people people are showing a deeper level of interest and commitment in the work um it is more challenging because our strategies of collective cultivation and like how to have a whole bunch of people come out together to to plant or to dig and then to do political education like on the field and land together has to shift. Um, and so again, we've been doing um, weekly webinar series, um, a community care series. Um, we've been doing um, what we will be launching some like how to like videos and having some young people supporting some stipends for young people to be able to support with those videos. And we're still trying to, we're still moving medicine out. We're just like ramping up even harder with like food production and getting um, perennial medicines and um, food sources like into our communities. Um, we've, we have been really making moves, but yeah, we've had to like shift a little bit with some of the collective cultivation efforts, but we're definitely building 
um, community interest and investment um, in this work right now. I think that's a really lovely way to frame the um, some what could be you know seen it, and it is in a lot of ways a very negative situation, but to frame it as a um, a call to more intentional action for things like the community resilience, like what you were saying of you know um, collective action and supporting each other, and um, you know all the the interdependent interdependentness. Is I saying that word right? Interdependentness. Of um, interdependent, there we go. Interdependent. Um, of, I think I was mixing interdependence and interconnectedness. Aha, uh-huh, yes. I was mi- mixing those two together. Yeah, so it's a new word. Um, but of, of each other, and so to a really, you know, showing um, a more of, you know, this this is the way to be resilient in a time of crisis. Really, you know, in the crisis we're facing, but in any sort of crisis, that these are the things that really get us through. Um, to be stronger on the other side. Yeah, and um, and you know another piece that that we're really feeling about this moment too is, um, while absolutely we we want our community members to as much as we can to be to have access to to food and to housing and to be taken care of in this moment, but we so you know, while working to support, you know, folks getting their immediate needs met, we're also working really hard um, to build solutions for the other side of this so that people aren't feeling like, um, so that this, again, this is an opportunity and, and more people are lifting their head up and having a sense of awareness of vulnerability. So now we need to show some of the, need to give solutions now um, for for something different on the other side. So not just being more stable within that existing system and going further entrenched in it, but how can we really deeply build some of these different structures that are like bridging our way out of <clears throat> this current reality? <laughs> um, so we're being really intentional about working as hard with our incredibly limited resources to to activate the potential of this moment for our communities and again working in connection with um, global so- solidarity and and food sovereignty movement at this time it's really important that we're intentional coordinated that we are um, engaging our communities and um, yeah giving solutions for a different future together not just Mm -hmm. achieving greater stability within the existing system yeah i i work in a a a county government and here in maine and what when in response for food what i've seen just overwhelmingly is the amount of the the community the like a part of community coming together that just hadn't happened or hadn't the, a lot of people in the community hadn't really seen in a really long time because it's typically a community that's very rural very isolated and talk about this idea we were saying before of like fierce independence and no mm-hmm. um interdependence uh, uh, on anyone else um and really seeing how people are changing that, flipping that paradigm for themselves about realizing that help is is okay, and maybe starting to bridge the like seeing that that's a value in their own lives in a way that they just hadn't really seen before, 
Um, and so that on an individual level, I see those things happening when it comes to food and helping each other and you know, responding to this like very unique time right now. And also just the community um, organizations and even businesses and um, things like that. So it just um, on one le immediate level, just showing, a, reinforcing the need to um, uh, bolster local systems um, in, mm -hmm. and rather than rely on some, you know, larger global structure, uh, you know, capitalism structure, things like that. But that it really is the the people to people relationships that are getting these through and not the system that we've been living under for, you know, the like you know my lifetime and a few lifetimes before that um that it's those things are not helping us um and that it really is the people connections that have been helping people through mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um you had also you know we're talking about resilience that is also a term that gets used uh, when talking about climate change a lot and i've seen climate change mentioned on some things about the Eastern Woodlands rematriation. Do you want to speak about how climate change is affecting any of your work or not, or um, how you might be viewing that possible, that uh, not possible, but that issue that will um, come to affect us all? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely, you know, shaping our, shaping our reality. And we, and, you know, because of climate change and human-induced climate change, we will only continue to experience more crises like the ones that we're in at this time. I mean, climate change is so um, deeply connected to the degree of at least, yeah, within the network, like within the collective of um, urgency of, of the work that we're undertaking. Um, for me personally, working hard to not be coming from a place of fear, but I would be lying. And if I said that, that I didn't carry really intense fear about the reality of climate change that we're in and the world that um, we're leaving for our young ones. Um, and I work really hard to to be hopeful and it's honestly really difficult to be hopeful but doing this this work um and doing everything that's within my power um to just yeah work work so hard and really work to respect this responsibility responsibility and again to our ancestors ancestors being those who've gone before us but our ancestors are also those who've yet to come and so this really deep responsibility for um, doing everything that we can, you know, within the scope of my power to to be to humble myself more, to come more deeply into balanced reciprocal relationship with with the earth, um, in the hopes that it will build towards a closer degree, like inch us towards some closer to to resilience for for. For my child and my and my children, you know, all of these children are my children, and those yet to come. I'm just really disappointed in you know what we're going to be leaving, and just a way of not feeling completely paralyzed and hopeless in this time is to just do everything that's within my power and try to not get lost in the the fear of the reality, looking at things through the realness. Um, and just trusting that um, we all do absolutely everything that's within our power. And then 
the earth and creation will have its have its plan of whatever that needs to be and um, trying to like humble and respect whatever that process looks like. Yeah. But it's heavy. Yeah, right. I, th- I think some of those, the, for sure, I mean, those fears are, are held by so many people when you really start to think of the gravity of that situation, especially about when you think about the future and our, our own children, what that looks like for all the people coming after us, people and non-people coming after us. Now, Olivia, I was curious, um, and I'm sure some of our listeners will be too, for non-Indigenous folks, what is the best way that they can be supportive of the Eastern Woodlands rematriation um, and the work that you're doing? So I have two answers to that. One, a way that non-Indigenous people can be supportive of the work is, is to be supportive of Indigenous um indigenous tribal sovereignty and the really important way in an in indigenous communities period and a really important way to do that is for non non-native people to undertake the process of truly understanding um their their history and then how like their history and the history of where they are how that connects to their current um their current reality that 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 history is not disconnected from the um situations they're sitting in now and and really undertaking that process of learning and growing um can have really because it's really the responsibility of the colonizer um to to like to change those those systems of oppression um so if if the oppressor so if we're talking about trying to rematriate in a system of colonization um it would be incredibly transformative for colonizers to transform that system, <laughs> um, which is one separate but connected to patriarchy, um, and they they feed one another, um, is to un you know and, and what does that mean and what does the future look like? I don't have that answer, um, but so to really like analyze a position as a settler uh, in a settler colonial system, um, and to really think about what that means from their their vantage point, their history as non-native or as white people and not like wanting to necessarily like know all the history about native people, but really spend the time with their own history, um, full history, real history, graphic, heavy, hard, beautiful history of, of their own. Um, and then specifically Eastern Woodlands rematriation, um, for non-native folks. Yeah. So if there are, um, private landowners who, um, you know, so if if they have access to land that might have um, important medicines for us, because a big part of our challenge is access to our food and medicine sources. Our our land base has been diminished tremendously. So through partnerships with um, at this point, a lot of it has been with um, individual landowners to either give us access. Um, there's also processes of land return occurring within um, the collective, which is powerful. And perhaps we can talk about that in the future when it's a little more progressed, but it's pretty rad. Um, and so people really deeply undertaking the process of decolonizing and um, rematriating land and allowing indigenous people to harvest and um 
you have to harvest food and medicines from their their land and water and coastal access. Um, I mean, monetary monetary donations are absolutely welcomed <laughs> and appreciated. I don't know if that goes without saying. Um, you know, that absolutely could amplify does amplify the work that we're doing in the capacity that we hold but there's so many different ways that we can develop relationships to to amplify this work collectively that we all have a piece of the puzzle to, to do on this indigenous and non non-indigenous folks it's really helpful to know and i think it's absolutely appropriate to say that there's monetary donations being accepted um, in addition to the <laughs> other ways to support. Um, absolutely. That's a great call to action. Thank you so much. Where can we find um, more information about Eastern Woodlands matriation online? Yeah, so our website is, um, is still in development and we just got a communications grant. So that should help Woo-hoo. with like actually having someone who knows about communications to help us with that. But at this point, um, so we're on Facebook as Eastern Woodlands Rematriation Collective. Um, and we're also on Instagram as Eastern Woodlands Rematriation we um our fiscal sponsor is why hunger um why hunger inc why hunger inc and so we have like a little page portal on the why hunger um website as well yeah all right great well i mean this has been this has been super interesting and i just want to keep hearing more and just hearing you talk and tell us more because i know that there's so much more that um that we definitely don't know and um like Hope said before, the goal of this, like when we ask the question, what is the intersection between food and feminism? We don't know the answer to that. And we're trying to figure that out because we do believe that it's there and there is a unique and special relationship. And, um, you know, what, there's many different forms to it. Um, so we really were, this is so just incredible to hear um, this, this, the work that you're doing for sure. And uh, your, your passion behind it too. It's really wonderful. So thank you for sharing. That's, that was a lot tonight that we covered. Thank you. Well, thank you again, Olivia, for sharing um, your unique perspective and telling us about the work the Eastern Woodlands rematriation is doing and undertaking. Um, It's been incredibly interesting and um, I truly feel like I've learned a ton through this conversation um, to the point where we might have to invite you back. (laughs) So if our listeners want to find out more about um, the Eastern Woodlands Rematriation, check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Um, We eagerly await their new website. And if you'd like to find out more about Femidish, we are on Instagram and Facebook as Femidish. Our website is www.femidish.com. And you can go there to check out our blog posts and we have some merchandise Um, So be sure to follow along for updates. I was hanging out the towels. We were trying to save the world. I was picking up the house. Why don't you put it down? Come over. Come over.